welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. I believe that God has given me something that's a game changer for those of us that um, have had challenges in these areas on a regular basis. I kind of can identify a lot with what Q was talking about uh, because I, late last year, experienced my third breakdown and I'll explain what that means in a few moments time and when you get to the third time uh, when I when I got to that time I literally believed that I had become unqualified and uneligible no longer eligible to lead this congregation in, in sense of a breakdown it's kind of an old terminology for this stuff but I think it's um, a good terminology because uh, I had the inability to function at full potential mentally Emotionally, physically, even relationally, I thank God, like like you, for for my wife, who's flipping incredible in the area of mercy and patience and understanding. For my family, um, at different points along the journey, if it wasn't for my son Anthony, you do things, you say things that are just incredibly stupid, wrong, hurtful. When you're in those moments, I did them, and uh, just my son Anthony here just showing me a manifestation of the gospel on that one-on-one level, which I didn't think would come from that zone. Like, I know he's kind of cool, good guy, but along the journey, you need people. I could say that about all of my children in some way, but this is what you need to know, that there is a game-changing revelation that can come in this whole area. And like I said, hitting it for the third time, hitting the wall for the third time, I thought, gosh, I just... I just find myself in Greylands in a suit without the use of my arms. But it wasn't that. The first one that took place in 2006 was, I know now because I was a workaholic and I was denying it and wasn't prepared to make the changes. I had to make the changes and I thought, yep, got it sorted. I've sold that. And then the second one was induced by pharmaceutical drugs that were ministered to me by my cardiologist and that was a chemical thing that caused another set of kind of Uh, complexities that I need to deal with. And on each occasion, I just dealt with those isolated matters instead of dealing what we're calling now the holistic spirit, soul, body thing and putting into place the diet change, the exercise change, change, the fluid change. Like I love adult grape juice. (laughs) Code for wine. I never used to drink litres of the stuff. I used to enjoy a glass or two. Uh, went on holidays three because we've signed documentation as passes that at 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, we have to be able to jump into a car and drive at any time. So the only time I would ever have more than two, which was normally three because I couldn't go beyond that, was when I was on holidays and had no responsibilities. I love the stuff. I can't touch it now. It's terrible. <laughs> kind of like no longer Italian. Can't drink wine. <laughs> can't eat pasta because it'll make me sick for a day, like sick, laid out flat, headaches, nausea, all sorts of crazy stuff going on. So when you get the chance to look at the three areas together and what is required for your spirit, for your soul and for your body, and you begin to become skilled in keeping these things in a rhythm in your life, I believe it can be a game changer. And I want to have a look at it tonight. Is that okay? Um, you know, when you when you get to these places, 
when you, when you suffer a, a long period of depletion, find yourself into a place of chronic depression. Chronic means you're dealing with it on a daily basis. There were times during the journey where six days out of seven, I would find myself in three to four hours of chronic darkness and depression and take five to six hours to work my way out. But tonight, I don't want to talk to you from my experience and things that would work for me. I want to talk to you from the Word of God. Is that okay? I want to look at a famous prophet in the Old Testament who had his own breakdowns and his own dealings with depression and suicide and just look at some of the things that God did and gave to him to come out the other side and be victorious. Can we do that? Give you the backdrop. It's a story about Elijah and you pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 17 just as a backdrop. Elijah pops on the scene and he's declaring, there's going to be no rain, guys, until I say so. And guess what happens? Rain stops because he's the prophet of God. And I'm, I'm sure in that beginning part of his journey is like ego through the roof, dude. I just said no rain and there's been no rain. As a result of him declaring that prophetic word, drought hit, famine came, and he was miraculously fed by ravens. Now, the equivalent bird that we have in Australia is probably either a crow or a magpie. But every day, a crow or a magpie would come along and deliver food to him. He was miraculously supplied for. He's like, by now he's like, puff chest, dude. No drought, but God's still looking after me. He's getting the bird to go down to the king's house there, steal the sirloin steak off the plate, deliver it over here. I'm all good. From there, he moves down to the brook Cherif where God has told him to go and a widow provides for him on a daily basis. He's being provided for by the widow. The widow's son dies. She gets all upset and says, I thought you were a man of God. What have you brought upon me? So he goes and raises the son from the dead. Like this guy's doing good as a prophet. From there, he goes to Mount Carmel. He slays all the false prophets, but first has this kind of prophet style dance off. <laughs> you sort out your altar over there. You put your cow on that altar. I'll sort out my altar over here. And the God who answers by fire, he'll be the one true God. And they have this like prophetic dance off. And these guys go all day. They can't get any fire to call down. He starts mocking them and says, hey, maybe shout louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe that's why he's not answering. He just gives it to them all. And then he calls for fire. Fire comes down, consumes the sacrifice on the altar, licks up the water out the trenches like he is kicking it out the park. And then he slays all the false prophets. And we pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19. Actually, before he comes down from the mountain, he declares the rain's coming. And so he goes to the mountain and he prays and rain comes and the drought breaks. And so he's heading home. He's heading home from his last ministry trip, man, and he has just gone to the top of the charts on Instagram. I mean, the internet can say nothing but good about how effective he is and how spiritual he is. And he gets home to a message, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now, just pause there. Check that out. If you haven't already turned your Bible on, turn it on. If you're looking on the screen, look on the screen. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. 
He went to Beersheba, which is the place of seven oaths. It's a place of commitment, a town in Judah. And he left his servant there. Then he went down, went on alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He's first left in fear, wanting to save his life. By the time he gets to this destination, he's sitting down and praying to die. He's gone from rational to irrational in a very short space of time. He said, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread, which is the bread of life, on hot stones and a jar of water. As I look at that hot baked bread, I just see bread of life on hot stones and a jar of water. Water is a prophet's reward. So he ate and drank and lay down. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Say with me, eat some more. more. He goes down to sleep. He's tired. He's depleted. He's depressed. He's just prayed and asked God to die. He falls to sleep. It wasn't a spiritual act. It was what he flippin' needed to do. Take a break. It wasn't while he was interceding that his answer came. Actually, the refreshing and the impartation came in his sleep. I can't tell you how many times during these couple of seasons that there has been the impartation of God through sleep, not through praying, not through reading the Bible. I'm not saying those things should not be done, but we got to let God be God. And sometimes, you know what he says? Just go to bed and have a sleep. You know that Saturday when you just end up on the couch and have the extra couple of guilt-free sleep hours? That is so flippin' good for you. It is so good for you. You know, like, I don't know, it was probably after this second encounter that I just suddenly decided when I slept during the day, I was not gonna be guilty. What a revelation! I was like, I can remember in the early days just feeling so guilty, like you are a lazy person. Ah, Get off your blessed assurance. And No, 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 just get on the couch. I just love cricket season. Cricket's the most boring thing you can watch on TV. <laughs> but it's just helpful to lie down and uh, donk, donk. <laughs> What's the score? You need to understand that In all of this, this man of God, it doesn't matter which way you try and read this in some spiritual way, this guy had a breakdown to the point of becoming suicidal. He was depressed. He was dealing with anxiety. He was dealing with fear. We're not going to go into the rest of the story tonight just for the sake of time, but I want to have a look at three things that I I believe can be a game changer for all of us in this area of mental health and staying buoyant, spirit, soul and body. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Can we have a look at that? Turn your Bible on, look on the screen. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Here's, a, here's the first thought that I have, which don't, doesn't make up part of the, 
the three keys, but it's an important insight to understand that the one thing the enemy wants to do when you get depleted, when you get anxious, when you get fearful, when you get depressed, the one thing the enemy wants to do is get you on your own. The one thing he wants to do is cause you to shut your mouth, for Q to sit in that meeting with all of his peers, people that look up to him. He's a heavy hitter. He's not going to tell you that, but I'll tell you, he's a heavy hitter in what he does. But in that room, he had the internal fortitude to say, you know what? I need help. I'm not doing good. It's the most powerful thing you can do. One can put a thousand to flight, two ten thousand, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That principle is true in relationship. It's great if you can talk to your spouse, but honestly, I don't want to talk to my wife about all that garbage I'm going through on the way through. There's some things, but like really, I don't want to put all of that and I'm a bloke if you haven't noticed. (laughs) We kind of don't do it too well to the degree that we need to. Is it okay to be honest? Tough, I'm going to be honest. You've got to have someone else to go to. Sure, I want to be as vulnerable. My marriage is made up of three basic things, intimacy, vulnerability and shared experiences. That's what a good marriage is made up of. But you know what? I can't be as vulnerable as I need to sometimes on the way through as I can. I did. We had coffee a couple of times. This guy sat there and just gave me some really good responses. Like, Pastor, this might be time for change. It's okay. You've got to have someone else to talk to. But I want to look at these three keys in the area of mental health that I think we find here from Elijah. And here's the first one. Are you ready? The first thing you got to do, it's the first thing we all got to do. There's three things we, we all got to do, but here's the first one. We got to get rid of fear. You got to get rid of fear. If you accommodate fear, you are not eligible for war. I know this is going to be hard to hear for some people because actually our society has tried to get us to believe that fear is disease. Fear is not a disease, it's a decision. Yeah, that went down well. Uh, in Gideon's army, when you look at Gideon's army, Gideon, Gideon in, in, in Judges chapter 7, he's got 32,000 people in his army. God wants to send him to war. But he says, hey, what, you, you can't go to war with 32,000 because if you go with them, I'm not going to get any glory. He says, you've got too many. I, I want you to, first of all, give everyone in your army the option. Anyone who's in fear, let them go home. In that moment, 22,000 soldiers left. I'm out of here, I'm packing my grundies, I'm going home. He's got 10,000 left, 10,000 soldiers. I mean, that's a pretty formidable army in in that moment. And God says, there's still too many. Out of that 10,000, I want you to separate this 10,000 and this is how I want you to do it. Get them to come and have a drink. And those that drink by kneeling down on their knees and putting their mouth in the water and drink, put them over there. But those that get down on one knee, and lap the water with their hands, put them over there. So he ends up with 9,700 over here who got down on both knees, put their face in the water and just drank. He ends up with 300 over here that got down on one knee, lapped up the water and lapped it like a dog. Those that drink like a dog said, God can go to war. You only take dogs to war, God says. Those that fight like dogs. Such a powerful insight. First, you do not qualify for war if you harbour fear, if you accommodate fear. Second, 
You do not qualify for war if you think when you're tired, you have the privilege of getting down and just looking into your own face because that's all you can see in the water when you go in there to lap and just go there and refresh yourself and forget about the great responsibility that you are carrying every moment of your life. Those that got down on their knee and lapped up the water, they were still able to refresh themselves, but they were able to stay alert. This is what God says, I want you to drink and I want you to worship at the same time. I want you to drink and I want you to watch at the same time. You gotta know that in this life, God is calling you to be someone who knows how to worship and watch at the same time. Someone that knows how to worship and watch and rehydrate yourself. Yeah, get refreshed. Yes, look after yourself. Yes, that whole connection that we make when you get on an airplane and they give you that whole safety check with where the doors are and if you're going to jump, that's where you're going to do it. But oh, in the unlikely event that oxygen cabin drops, uh, the oxygen drops from the cabin, you're going to get your mask dropped down. They all tell you, put the mask on first before you help someone else. We all understand that looking after ourselves is a priority, but it's not the complete focus. So the first thing we've got to do is get rid of fear. I had realised that through my journey, I had started to make fear my go-to. And you can't afford to do that. Fear is believing the enemy's threats above God's promises. Fear is putting faith in the enemy's threats above God's promises. You can get rid of fear. Come on, you're going to love me by the end of this. Fear is a decision. It's not a disease. You've got to deal with self. Can I remind us that even though the world tells us that the world is our oyster, it's not. The world is not your oyster, it's your responsibility. You are called to serve, not to be served. We are called to go out into all the world and make disciples. Obviously, we've got a lot of pressure around us today. Social media, the media itself, wanting us to put focus on ourselves. What you need is some me time, some therapy time, some retail therapy, a holiday, this and that. But you know what the reality is? I have a responsibility to serve the people of my generation according to the purposes of God. And we've got to get those things back in line with the call of God that's been put upon us. We've got to stay alert. No matter how tough life is right now, and I know it's tough for some of you, no matter how tough it is, it's even tougher for somebody else. Come on, somebody. It's even tougher and the enemy is on the prowl. Make no mistake about it. While I was at my weak points, while I was in my darkest points, that's when the enemy ran right in my world. That's where he got me to believe some things that were absolute lies and put me on the most dangerous edges of life. We've got to understand that we can get fear out through making a decision to believe God's promises above that pressure that's coming. We've got to stay alert. We've got to drink from the Spirit. Yeah, my prayer life took a dip. Yes, it did. But I kept drinking, kept taking those little sips. Honestly, to open up these Bible, you know, I know there's some pastors out there that want to tell you that we have the most stressful pressure pressure jobs in the world. I don't believe it. And I'm a pastor. It's tough. It is tough. The the pressure, the demand is relentless. Yes, it never goes away. We don't get to socialise really. Even when we go to socialise, someone wants to talk to us about something connected with the ministry. And it's just the way it is. It's why 
I did become a little bit antisocial along the way. It's just because I just don't want to do people because people means ministry and that means a drain and I ain't got anything left to give and I'm scraping the barrel for myself. And no, you want a piece of, yeah, it's all there. But actually, I think we don't have the most stressful jobs in the world. I'd hate to be a paramedic. I'd hate to be a police officer. I'd hate to work in an emergency department. I mean, goodness gracious. Actually, I think being a childcare worker could be even worse than what I do. But anyway, that's just me. That's just me. But here, I think I have to mention that because, you know, self got in along the way and uh, feeling sorry for, well, I'm a pastor and it's the hardest job in the world. No, it's not. We were graced to do this thing. I needed to make the adjustments. First thing, get rid of fear. Turn your neighbour and say, get rid of fear. Second thing, second thing, and this is going to sound super spiro, but you know me, that's kind of not my jam. I don't like super spiro, but you do need to receive the fire of God. This is the bread of life. In fact, it's kind of like the fat flour in the pot. It needs to be heated. Now, try and hear me clearly. I understand that when I go to my point of devotion, devotion I'm doing what God's called me to do. But sometimes when you get into the place where the fire's not there anymore, or the embers are low, and trust me, the embers were low, you need to get the Word that's on fire in your life. And, and I've got to tell you that there's only, there's only a few options that you had. God's Word needs to be heated. It needs to come with power. It needs to come with faith. It needs to come with a prophetic edge to it. And during those key seasons, I, t- I want to tell you that my pastor was number one in the zone on the phone and he would pray for me and he would pray for me with fire. He would, <laughs> uh, he prophesied over me and he didn't prophesy over big mag- mag- visions and the, he prophesied Christ over me. He would just speak prophetically. And he also, uh, he reproached me. He was the one that would come with fire and with a pointed kind of finger through the phone and he would point out where I was wrong in my thinking, point out where I was wrong in things that I said out in my mouth. And those things made all the difference in key moments. I'm kind of remembering a moment four or five months ago in the middle of working through some stuff and I felt like I was just enclosed in a cave of darkness and I just did not think there was any way out and this was gonna be the end in some way, shape or form. And I'm on the phone to him. I've called him because he's my go-to in those moments. Everyone needs a pastor. And I said, Dad, And he just said, son, he's he's a very wise guy. Before he said it to me, he said, son, and before I say anything, don't take offence with your father. How smart is that? He says, you'll be my son no matter what you do. You're you're my son for the rest of my life. I'm proud of you, blah, blah, all the stuff. And he says, now stop. (laughs) Boom. 
boom, boom. And I'm like, I'm, I'm 50 years old sitting on the couch like a little kid going, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to tell you something broke in that moment. Can I just bring us back to some old school Bible? Every one of us needs a pastor. And when you're in trouble and, and, and not getting out of trouble uh, and you, you say you've got all the ducks lined up, you've been to the counsellor, you've been to the financial advisor, you've been to this, you've been to that, have you been to your pastor if you really are in trouble? And when I say have you been, you don't have to make it a big deal. Just get on the phone and make a call. That phone call had 12,000 kilometres between it. But I want to tell you, the power of God travelled down the phone to where I needed it right there and made all the difference. You've not got to just get fear out, you've got to get fire in. Come on, somebody, you've not just got to get fear out, you've got to get fire in. I, I can't tell you how the next day I went back to the same book, not necessarily new scriptures, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, I think I could take on the world. Not just get over my own stuff, but help some other people with their stuff. But you know what? I don't think this is just for me as a, as a man called to ministry and to the world. I think it's for every single one of us, what you're doing in your business world, what you're doing in your relationships with family. You gotta get the fire back in. When the fire goes out, you're in danger. In fact, I would say that to here tonight, there's many of you that you've been sitting in that plateau place for a while where you've just got the embers burning and there's actually no flames coming out of your fire. You're gonna get set back on fire in the things of God and everything will shift. You'll find you've got the grunt that you need to get over the hump that's in front of you. And then the final thing, and this is really from what we've seen here with Elijah. The first thing was that when he got to that point, because when you read the rest of the story, Elijah gets back from there. In fact, God says to him, this is really strange if you read the story, God sends him back to where he came from, which was the wilderness. It seems that like in this situation, Elijah had two ways out of the wilderness. Go back to the past and into depression or go back in the power of the Spirit. But before he left, God says, don't eat just once. Eat twice for what's coming ahead of you. Listen, I believe it's a game-changing season and moment for many people where you're not just gonna go back to the Word, but you're gonna go back to the Word again, where you're gonna get that hot bread off the stone again and again so that you know you're strong because what lays ahead of you is bigger. I'm sorry, it's bigger than what you faced before and God knows it and He wants to put it on the inside of you. He wants you to get to the place where you no longer accommodate fear in your life, but you actually get it out of your life. He wants you to get you to the place where you don't just keep yourself warm spiritually, but He wants you on fire with the very deposit of Christ that He's given to you. And then He wants you to come out of your wilderness because some of you have gone into your own wilderness on your own accord and I know what it's like. It's just easier to withdraw and escape. I just thought, well, I've got a good team. Wife is cranking on the preaching. I'll just back out. I'll go do something else and it'll all be okay. But really what was happening is I was withdrawing away from the thing that I didn't want to face, which was the next mandate that was ahead of me. You've got to come out of your wilderness. There's only two ways out. You go back the way you came, depressed, but you go back in the power of the Spirit. Ephesians 3, 20, I'm landing, I promise. From the Passion Translation, ish, I like this. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. 
He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for His miraculous power constantly energises you. God is able to do, the traditional translation says, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond what you ask, what you think and what you imagine. I've known this for a long time, but through those different occasions, what has become very powerful in my world is to understand that in heaven, my thoughts are as loud as my prayers. That's what the Scripture says. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what you ask, think or imagine. Religious people think prayer is just about words that release out their mouth. But I've got to tell you, your thoughts are as loud as your prayers in heaven. Whatever you ask, whatever you think, whatever you dream about, He's able to do above and beyond that according to the power that works in you. His miraculous power is consistently energising you. I think because we have become extremely compassionate in this area. We have almost given people going through a tough time a kind of free card away from just doing the basics of prayer and whatever word you can get in. But can I tell you, that's a ploy of the enemy. Whatever you can get in. I I told you there were seasons there where it's just a Scripture a day. Thank God for Bible app that pops up with it. They can be really anointed in some seasons, hey? In other seasons you go, okay, uh-huh, I am. But you've got to know, if you don't get this machine that turns thoughts over and over again right, it'll rob you of the anointed thoughts that you're meant to be thinking so that God can do above and beyond. Every thought is a seed that sooner or later will become an action. I had to get myself on the altar and say, God, forgive me for harbouring one thoughts. And not in, you know, just the kind of most obvious areas of sinful thoughts that might pop in once every four or five years. Joking. But in the area of negative thoughts, in the area of imagination, oh, this is just all going to go to mud. I can remember myself being in the office here one day and I said to my team, this is all just going to go to mud. And that's just not like me. It's not what God says. He does say, let the weak say, I am. Let the poor say. That's how God thinks. God's think, thoughts are powerful. How many people remember the day that when you, you, you were in that sweet spot with God, maybe in the first part of your journey with Christ or when you got into a healthy zone with revelation, that you would think things and they would, you'd feel the anointing. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Was that just me? You just think things and the anointing, the presence would kind of go boom on you. I, I was texting someone this afternoon and just some things that God had been saying and they just went, boom, I was either something else or I, I think I just got hit by the power of God. God travels on thoughts and we can open up our future that way. As we land, coming out of the wilderness requires you to finish your race. 
Elijah was trying to pull out of his race. God said, uh, 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 you're going back and you're going to anoint that king and that king and you're going to put the mantle of the prophet on Elisha over there and you're going to go and do this. We've got to make a commitment to finish our race. And every one of you have a race. We've got to make a commitment to pass on the baton. Listen, every single person in the room in Christ today, you have a baton that must be passed on. It's a really interesting thing to have a look at that Elijah and Elisha are two great prophets in the Old Testament. If you listen to modern day preachers, we always hear them going on about Elisha and the double anointing. And he's just made like this ultimate kind of commitment that we should all go to, ultimate goal for all of us to be like an Elisha and have a double anointing. But you know what? In the New Testament, in the Gospels alone, Elisha shows up once in the Gospels. Elijah shows up 29 times. Jesus mentions and references Elijah 29 times. Not the guy that got the double portion and did twice the amount of miracles, but he mentions Elijah. He says, and there'll be a return of the spirit of Elijah. Why is that? Why does this guy still become a hero in the New Testament when Elisha is just kind of like he's mentioned once and it's actually not even in a positive zone when he's mentioned. Why does Elijah get the mention and Elisha doesn't? Because Elijah had a successor. Elijah passed on the baton. Elisha did not. The miracles died with Elisha, but Elijah passed it on to others. You know what? I think for what God has called us to do, because from that point, Elijah, once he handed on his mantle, he was received up into heaven in a miraculous way. He was raptured and taken from the earth because he completed his mandate. He had his challenges. He went through the suicidal season. He went through the depression, but he came out the other side and he did not pull back from the mandate of God upon him and he put his mantle on someone else. You do not have success until you have a successor. Elijah had had success up until that point, but he had no successor. When God intervened, he went back and finished the mandate upon his life and he raised up a successor. In all that you're called to do, you're called to hand on the baton to somebody else. If that's in simplicity, handing on the baton of faith to your children and your children's children, I think you'll get to heaven and get a gold crown because I think that's flipping awesome. But if you've got a call of God upon your life, I think what's been put on you should be handed on to the next generation by you so that you can prepare for eternity. I do believe it's a deal breaker, a game changer when you get to the space where you get rid of fear, get fear out, get fire in. It's so important to stay passionate. Gosh, just passionately in love with Jesus is powerful. It just translates into so many things. We wouldn't have pastors and connect group leaders trying to encourage this one to get to church and that one to get to Bible study. If we could just get passion and fire in the inside, we couldn't stop them banging down our doors. We'd be trying to kick it out of our homes at Connect Group because they're staying too long because they're so hungry for what God is doing in their life. And to come out of your wilderness. Oh, I'm just going to be a good Christian and run my business and look after my family and attend church. Is that what you're really called to do? Or you're in a wilderness where you have failed to continue with the call of God upon your life to do that other thing? This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.